Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by Get Booked, the hand cell. Get Booked, our podcast for personalized reading recommendations, has added a weekly bonus episode called The Hand Cell. Jen and Amanda, former booksellers, take five minutes every episode to pitch you a book they think you'll love, with notes about what readers the book is perfect for. The hosts will be focusing on books that they haven't talked about much on the show at all, so come hear about a new-to-you read. Regular episodes of Get Booked will continue to come out every Thursday with bonus episodes of The Hand Cell coming every Monday. Subscribe to Get Booked wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 71, and we are recording on Tuesday, February 11th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm doing good. I just came back from Austin, Texas yesterday. And as you can tell by the fact that it took me so long to say the word yesterday, I have no idea what day it is or like what's happening in the world because my brain is still like slowly coming out of vacation mode. Yeah, Austin is fun. I got to go there with um with a friend of mine a few years ago. She um she flew back and forth between here and Austin um with for um to work with a photographer and so I got to tag along on one of her work trips. It is such a cool place. Yeah, it's a really nice city. It was my first time there. Uh, One of my friends moved down there after she got married because she married someone from Austin. And so she's been living out there for a couple of years, but this was the first time I got a chance to go down. And it was really nice, uh, partially just because, you know, it was 60 degrees and sunny over there. (laughs) And to uh, not be in a winter climate was quite nice. (laughs) And they, and I love like Austin has the whole like keep Austin weird. Mm-hmm. uh slogan um like i when i was there they had some kind of keep austin weird like festival going on and <laughs> i i don't remember much about it but there was lots of tie-dye and bright colors and there was an armadillo race nice <laughs> that's about all i remember but i think that's all you're really supposed to remember <laughs> yeah when i was there uh one of my friends like texted me while i was on the trip and was like what are you doing and i'm like or like what have you been doing while in austin and i was like i've been going to a bunch of bookstores <laughs> walking around outside because they have such great like nature trails and hiking little things that you can do there and then eating all of the food and i'm like what more can you ask for from a vacation <laughs> yeah all the books all the food all the sunshine well, maybe not all the walking but oh. all the great weather <laughs> I'm there for the walking. <laughs> yeah, I get to go to Nashville in a in a couple of weeks and uh that's going to be that's going to be something very very similar. Nicer weather, amazing food, and hopefully I can fit in a a trip to a couple of bookstores since I'll be there for a conference, but mm. I'm looking forward to the warmer weather and the food for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's great. All right. So before we jump into the episode, I have our first sponsor, and that is William Morrow, publishers of A Divided Loyalty by Charles Todd. 
Chief Inspector Brian Leslie, a colleague of Ian Rutledge's, is sent to Avebury, a village set inside a prehistoric stone circle not far from Stonehenge. A woman has been murdered next to a figure like stone, but no one recognizes her. Despite a thorough investigation, it appears that her killer has vanished. Rutledge is asked to take a second look at Leslie's inquiry to see if he can identify this victim. He too finds very little to go on in Avebury, widening his search beyond the village only to discover that unlikely clues are pointing him towards an impossible solution. So Charles Todd is a New York Times bestselling mother-son author team. So this is a pseudonym for a pair of authors. And A Divided Loyalty is the 22nd book in the Ian Rutledge mystery series. But you can jump into the series wherever you like. These are all standalone books. So don't feel like you have to start at book one. You can pick up this one and jump right into the series. If you enjoy the feature film 1917 or recently watched the new season of Netflix's The Crown or just enjoy mysteries that are set during World War One, specifically like World War One British mysteries, like from Jacqueline Winspear or Anne Perry, then this is definitely a series that you should check out. And again, that's called A Divided Loyalty by Charles Todd. And we thank William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, if you are a new listener, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers on this show, anything and everything in between. If it fits under that umbrella, we will probably end up talking about it eventually. Um, and if you have listened to the show before, you know this is where we put out a call for suggestions for future episodes, subgenres that you think would be interesting uh, for us to talk about in more depth. If you're looking for... Uh, reading recommendations. We've had a lot of people send in uh, requests for reading recommendations um, over the last couple of years, and we find some really interesting books, really interesting subgenres that we may not otherwise have tried. So if you have any ideas or feedback, or if, even if you just want to say hi, um, please be sure to send us a note. We will have our contact information at the end of the show, and we love chatting with everyone and hearing from, from all of you who continue to listen to us week in and week out. Uh, so we do very much appreciate all of you, all of you listening, and we appreciate the ideas that you send in for the episodes. They really are awesome, and they really help us plan the future episodes of the show. So with that, I'm going to jump into our news segment. Um, So if you've been aware at all in the world um, over the last couple of weeks, you probably heard that Mary Higgins Clark, who uh, was known as the Queen of Suspense, has passed away at the age of 92, which is... Wow, that 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 is an age. That ninety two is an age. She had a very very long and successful career. She published her first mystery in nineteen seventy five and just kept on going. Um, but with Mary Higgins Clark, she kind of became she she kind of became the embodiment of a particular type of mystery novel. Like if you're familiar with Mary Higgins Clark's with her writing or um, or if you've read any of your books or know someone who really enjoys her books, you know what kind of books you're getting into. They're very, they're very suspenseful, but they're not, they're not dark, gory. They're just, you know, pure suspense. The violence, like if there's any violence, it kind of happens off stage, so to speak. And it's really about the ominous feeling of 
the main character being watched, being followed, not knowing what's going to happen. And her writing style became so signature that um, the mystery writers of America, when they give out the Edgar Awards, they also give out the Mary Higgins Clark Award for the book um, in, from the past year that was most closely written in the Mary Higgins Clark tradition. So the book that kind of follows that follows that that same uh formula so to speak but also ha- kind of has that same feel um i know she, mary higgins clark was kind of like a she's a go-to author at like pretty much every public library um and she's a great suggestion for people who want something suspenseful but just you know don't want the dark and disturbing like i do <laughs> um but she i mean she was she's such a huge figure in the mystery world that um, when she passed away, like it was, it was just everywhere. Um, so we will have a link to one of the many articles that was written after she passed away. I actually, I have not, um, I don't, I may have read one of her books now that I think about it. If I have, it's been a while, but I'm working in a library. I, um, yeah, I know I, I'm very familiar with the, with the type of books that, that she wrote. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if anyone, you know, kind of uh, continues publishing under her name. I know a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, mystery or suspense authors have done that after, or that's happened after they've passed away. But, um, but yeah, it was a big loss for the mystery community. And then the, uh, the last item that, that I have before Rincy jumps in with adaptations, it's not a news article, but it's a really interesting think piece from Bustle about what happens to your brain when you read true crime. And considering I had a conversation with my husband last week where I was listening to a true crime audiobook, and I had to ask him, I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? This book is so traumatic. Why do I keep reading this? Um, this, this, I thought this came up at a particularly opportune time. Um, but it's, it's interesting about the article looks at kind of the emotions that true crime can stir in the brain and what kind of chemicals it releases and how those chemicals make us feel. Um, and it also talks about why women especially are drawn to true crime. Um, and it's not just true crime books, but like, you know, documentaries, um, any like, you know, forensic files type of TV shows. Um, it's just really interesting. So if you've, if you're a fan of true crime, or if you've ever wondered why the heck those of us who do read true crime actually, why, why we put ourselves through it, um, it's, it's a really interesting read. So I wanted to make sure that I, um, put a link to that. We'll have a link to that in the, in the show notes. So definitely be sure to check that out. Okay, so there is a slew of different types of adaptation news. So I'm just going to run through these pretty quickly with just like the main highlights of each story. And again, there will be links in our show notes to all of these pieces. So if you are interested in reading more about any of them or reading more about the news part of this, these um adaptation pieces, you can definitely check those out. But I don't want to take too much time running through these. Uh So just quick overviews here. So first up, Tony Collett is has been announced as going to star in the new Netflix adaptation of Pieces of Her by Karen Slaughter. Uh, Tony Collett is a fantastic actress. And I haven't read anything by Karen Slaughter. And I so I wasn't like super into this Pieces of Me adaptation. But now that she's been announced as starring in it, uh, I am now interested. Um, so... <laughs> 
I, uh, yeah, so if you are a fan of Pieces of Me, you should be very excited that Tony Collette has been announced to star in it because that means it'll probably be a pretty good adaptation. And other adaptation news, Matt Damon um, is going to star in the adaptation of Don Winslow's novel, The Force, which 100% makes sense in my brain. Um, and I didn't realize this, but the um, director of Ford versus Ferrari, uh, James Mangold, is behind this as well. And so the two of them are basically teaming up again. And so if you paid attention to the Oscars or the Academy Awards this past weekend, you know that Ford versus Ferrari was up for a number of um, awards. And so they are a very good team. And so it looks like this could potentially be a very good adaptation as well. Um, and then in terms of like stuff that could potentially be coming in the future, Walter Mosley is apparently penning a film adaptation of The Man in My Basement. And so this is one of those things where it's like still very early on in the process. So there isn't going to be a lot of news besides the fact that he's scripting the, his own adaptation behind it. So hopefully this will get uh, picked up and released to the wider public um, maybe next year. And then Netflix has optioned the rights to uh, Hannah Jameson's dystopian thriller called The Last. Um and so, again, there isn't a whole lot of news behind this because the rights were just acquired. And so there aren't any other names attached to it. But if you were a fan of this book, then um, you could potentially look forward to this. Um, this is a book that combines basically like a locked room murder mystery with a high concept thriller. So it could also potentially be a book that you could be interested in picking up. And then um, there were two trailers that came out recently. Um, the first one is for The Undoing, which is based on the book You Should Have Known by Jean Hanf Korolitz. Um, And then the second one is for the new Agatha Christie adaptation, The Pale Horse. And so um, if you have been paying attention at all, there have been a lot of like different Agatha Christie um, adaptations uh, coming out. And so this is one that is specifically coming to Amazon Prime in March. So if you are an Amazon Prime person, then you can check this one out next month. God, March is next month, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite surprising when you think about it in those terms. Yeah, I, just, I, I still think March. I'm like, oh, that's like four months away. <laughs> All right. Well, before we... <laughs> Before we jump into the main segment of the show, I have our second sponsor, which is Bookmarks, a customizable journal to record your reading life. Bookmarks is going to be your new reading buddy. It's an all-in-one spot to record everything and anything book-related. Inspired by bullet journaling, Bookmarks offers ideas for setting up a multitude of book tracking pages with a mix of fill-in prompts, charts, lists, and plenty of dot grid pages to customize. To help expand your literary horizons, the journal also includes a section of recommended reading lists compiled by Book Riot. Uh, you can use bookmarks to jot down what you're currently reading, what's on your nightstand, your favorite quotes, new vocabulary words, memorable characters, your reviews of recent reads, and so much more. And as a clever bonus, the back flap has a punch-out bookmark. So you can go to bookriot.com slash bookmarks tracker for your copy. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the show and i'm super excited about that yeah if you click on the link you can see like the cover for it and it's like the cutest journal i've seen in a long time 
<laughs> so if anything, just click on the link to see the cover of it because it's real cute. All right. So our main topic for this episode is from a listener who emailed us talking about how they wanted recommendations of mysteries with a slight romance like behind it. So they didn't want full blown romantic mysteries where the romance is like the I won't I don't want to say the romance is the main part, but you know, the romance is like significant part of the story. Um they I believe were looking for mysteries that just happen to have either romantic couples in it or like a romantic subplot that didn't necessarily dominate the whole book. Is that correct, Kitty? Yeah, I think I got the impression um and that, that yeah the they weren't looking for romantic suspense where the romantic relationship is the primary focus it's like you know the book is all about the tension and the chemistry between the two people and they just happen to be solving a mystery um like we t- i think we talked about yeah last time where we talked about okay was your book science fiction a science fiction book that had a mystery or a mystery that ha- that happened to have a science fiction element to it so in this case, um, yeah, I think they were looking for mysteries that happened to have a romantic subplot, but that wasn't the primary focus of the book. And plus, we realized that our episode today is dropping on Valentine's Day. So we figured this would be a nice topic to sort of cover and to read some books that fit in under this little umbrella. Yeah. And um, I w- before we jump into the ones that we picked, I will mention that about yeah about 2 years ago there was um a list on book riot um that had so i think there was like 40 some suggestions if you're interested for mystery romance novels um and it's broken down into romance romances with mystery plots and mysteries with romances um so whatever your particular interest may be we'll post a link to that list so it'll give you even more suggestions beyond the two that we talk about today um so rinsey knowing what i know about the book that you read please go first <laughs> okay, so I do have to preface this by saying I kind of like bent the rules a little bit to fit with what I was in the mood to read because I am not like, I mean, I do like romance sometimes, but I just wasn't really finding anything that was vibing with me. And so I decided to read My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing, which does kind of work. But anyone who's read the book also is probably like, no, it doesn't really work. <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't, I will just say I have not read the book, but I know the plot. I'm like, this is the kind of book that I would read for Valentine's Day. <laughs> which is also partially why I texted you so quickly and was like, hey, this is the one I want to read. <laughs> so don't I read want- it. Yeah. <laughs> So if you aren't aware, this book, I believe, came out last year. Um, and you're following this couple who basically you see it flashes back and forth in time between like the current day and the past. And the basic idea is that, you know, they get into kind of a routine. They're a married couple. They have two kids. Um, and, you know, things aren't bad between them, but they're not really very exciting anymore. And then they realize that something that really thrills them is the idea of um, hurting someone else and killing someone else. And so they decide to kind of pursue that. And they don't go on like a crazy murdering spree, uh, but you see sort of how 
that builds over time and how it gets them to where they are now. Um, and the modern day subplot is that there is someone who they uh, killed and the basically what happened is like the husband went out and found the girl and uh, like flirted with her and like pretended to be someone else and got a little bit close to her and then like they went hiking together and then they like got together to try to kill her um and something happens where like one of their daughters and is like at a sleepover or something like that and they get a call from the parent that's like hosting the sleepover that like their daughter is sick. And so the wife stays to take care of all of this and the husband leaves to go pick up their daughter. And then like a year later, uh, the police find the body of this woman that they originally kidnapped and killed. Um, and it turns out that she had been kept alive for that entire year and just died like a couple of days ago or something like that. So the husband is completely shocked uh, to find that out because he thought that she was murdered like a year ago. But now she he finds out that his wife has actually been keeping her alive and torturing her for the past year. And things just sort of escalate from there. Um, this book is a complete page turner. Like I was a little bit skeptical of this book going into it just because like the premise sounds like really cheesy like if you read the like description on goodreads or amazon or whatever it sounds like a little bit cheesy and i think that might just be like the marketing trying to uh capture your attention with something riveting or whatever but to me it just feels like it's trying too hard um but the book itself is like a really compelling story because you're not really sure how this all got started and you're not really sure how it's going to end now that this body has been found. Um, the entire story is told from the point of view of the husband. And even though it kind of doesn't really fit the romantic elements of it, there is like a significant portion of the book that is spent with the husband talking about how much he loves his wife. He talks about like how they first met. Um, and he talks about like sort of how things were getting into this like sort of boring routine and how excited he was to like find this thing that really thrills both of them and how it's like revitalized their marriage. I'm using air quotes there because please don't revitalize your marriage using murder. <laughs> But yeah, it's but it's a very like compelling story because you don't really know how it's going to go. And I don't want to say anything more than that. But there are a number of like twists and turns to this book that you don't really see coming. Um, You again are flashing back and forth in time a little bit. So you see a lot of things from their past start to um play a role in the way things are currently unfolding. And yeah, things went places where I again, I'm not going to talk go into spoiler territory, but it definitely went places that I didn't uh see coming. And so, I think that if you are someone who really wants a really fun page-turning thriller that maybe doesn't seem like if you're someone who like me is like not in the mood for like the most romantic thing this valentine's day uh but want something that's you know on the dark and demented side this would be a good one to pick up um so again that's called my lovely wife by samantha downing i so desperately want to read this now on valentine's day <laughs> you and blaine can read it together like go take chapters and go back and forth <laughs> oh my god we could have a husband wife book club reading <gasps> and <laughs> 
since we were not recording when I mentioned this, I'll just mention to everyone that I was telling a coworker today about how Blaine and I do not watch, like, we don't do traditional Valentine's Day stuff. I mean, a few times we've gone out to dinner, but mostly we'll just get Grubhub and just sit inside and watch a movie. And usually the movies are like, Gone Girl, The Thing. This year we decided we're going to rewatch Fargo. Um, so we don't really do the, the sweet romantic stuff. And my, my coworker was desperately looking up romantic movies that we could watch. He's like, Katie, you could watch one of these. Why won't you watch one of these? I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to watch Fargo. <laughs> oh my God. This, this sounds so good. And I am just so delighted. I, I think I still have an arc of this book, which tells you how long I've been meaning to read it and just haven't gotten around to it. And I think that just kind of made its way into the giant pile of books I have growing next to the couch. Um, anyway, so the book I picked, if you are looking for something with a much more conventional romance, um, I, I found, shockingly, you went for the twisted one. I went for the more like, hey, this one, this one's much, this one has much broader appeal to a lot of different people. <laughs> we switched roles. Um, so the book that I picked was The Haunting of Maddie Claire by Simone St. James. And it's a historical mystery ghost story, um, with a romantic, um, with a romantic relationship. So it takes place um, shortly after the end of World War One in England. Uh, the main character is Sarah Piper. She's bi- she's living in London on her own. She's working with a temp agency. She's barely making ends meet. And she gets a request, um, or she gets an offering from the temp agency. She said there was, um, there was this man who's looking, who's looking for a young woman to help him with his work. And she's like, Oh God. All right. Let's see what this is. Um, and it turns out that this, this guy, his name is Alistair. I don't know if it's jealous or Gellis. I'm going to say Gellis. Um, he's young. He's in his mid twenties, but he wants her to assist him on a ghost hunt. And he's obsessed with ghosts and he really wants to record proof that ghosts exist. Um, and of course, this is in the 1920s, so the technology is much more limited um, than what we are used to now or what you might see on ghost hunting shows or whatever. Um, but he really, um, he wants someone to help um, record his findings, take notes, interview people. Um, and the ghost in particular that he is interested in communicating with is the spirit of 19-year-old Maddie Claire, who is said to haunt a barn, um, which is part of this large manor estate. Um, she was a servant there, and she, um, and she, uh, took her life when she, when she was 19, and now her spirit haunts this barn. Um, before I, before I go any further, and I won't, I won't divulge any specific details, I did want to mention, um, before you pick up this book, that um, there is a trigger warning for uh, rape. So if that's something that um, that you are particularly sensitive to, just know that going in, it's not a uh, it is not a graphic description, but it does factor into the story. Um, and the thing with Maddie Claire's spirit is that what she flies into a rage whenever a man enters the barn. Um, like she throws things and it just get, you know, everything just becomes totally chaotic. So, um, it has been determined that a woman needs to enter the barn and kind of try to communicate with the spirit of Maddie Claire. 
Um, and so that is pretty much where most of the story goes from there. They are trying to investigate. Um, they're trying to capture proof that Maddie Claire is an actual spirit. Um, and what it is that she's doing there. They're trying to help her move on. Um, the romantic relationship comes actually not from those two characters, Alistair and Sarah, but between Sarah and Alistair's uh, regular assistant, Matthew Ryder, who uh, he was away for a time and um, taking care of family business, and then he comes back, and so it's the three of them investigating, and Sarah falls in love with Matthew, um, who's very dark, brooding, mysterious, has lots of his own demons, came back from the war, um, physically and mentally scarred. Um, so that's kind of the romantic element, but the main part of the story is figuring out what what is going on with the spirit of Maddie Claire. Um, so this book is, it's pretty short. It's like just over 300 pages. Um, so it's a, it's a short read. It's a fast read. This is a good book if you're looking for like a good popcorn book. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like really like sink into it. You don't, it's not, it's not a, like a heavy thinker of a book. It's just a, it's just a, Nice, easy popcorn book, but it's um it's really good. I I really liked it, and considering I don't usually gravitate towards romance, um, I found this one pretty well done. It's not it doesn't it's not overwhelming to the plot, um, to the main to the main plot. Um, I think it does it adds a lot of interest um to the story, and the actual story of Maddie Claire and the ghost hunt is. Pretty creepy. Um, I mean, it's lower on the creepy scale for me, but I'm, <laughs> I, I, I've desensitized myself. It, it, um, so it might might be a little bit creepier for someone if you don't usually go towards like if you don't usually touch ghost stories. But um, it has the feel of kind of like that old fashioned kind of British ghost story. Um, but there is also kind of a mystery to it as they try to figure out what it is that happened to Maddie and what her life was like because she when she was alive she barely spoke she never left the house she arrived at um the manor house in very odd circumstances no one was really sure where she came from or anything like that so um so yeah there's the mystery element there's a little bit of spookiness with the ghost story there's the romantic element to it with the relationship between Sarah and Matthew and it just balances itself out really well um this would be a really good weekend read if you just want something to just enjoyable read it and not have to worry about you know spending you know like really having to think hard about the story and and stuff like that. It's it's really good. I I enjoyed it a lot. Um so again, that is The Haunting of Maddie Claire by Simone St. James. All right. So if you've read any mysteries recently that had a sort of romantic element to it, whether it's an actual romantic element like Katie's book or a sort of darker romantic element like my book, uh we would love to hear about it. Feel free to tweet at us or send us an email with those suggestions because I mean both of us enjoyed the books that we picked up so I'm sure that we would enjoy hearing about any other recommendations that you guys would have. Okay so with that I'm going to jump into new releases and oh my lord people I cannot tell you how hard it was 
to craft this list down into something semi-manageable. There are so many interesting books coming out in the next two weeks. Like, I can't even handle it. Like, I picked five, which is a little on the longer side of what we usually do. And that was cutting out several books that I really wanted to talk about. So this, this, I'm just, like, Muppet arming all over the place about the new books coming out. So, Without further ado, um, the first book I want to talk about is The Burn by Kathleen Kent. Um, that is out today on February 11th. So by the time you're listening to this, you can pick up a copy if you are so interested. Um, I believe I talked about this one on the most anticipated uh, 2020 releases. This is the second book in the Betty Rizik, uh series. The first one was called The Dime, which I read and I really liked. That had a very like true detective feel. So this is the second book in the series. Um, and Detective Betty Rizik is still basically recovering from the physical and mental uh, injuries that she sustained from the events of the previous book. Um, she's having trouble readjusting to her regular life, to her work life. Um, she's back at work as a narcotics detective, but there's just something that's not right. Um, whether, um, at work, there, someone has been assassinating confidential informants. Um, at home, she's struggling to connect with her wife, Jackie. And to make matters worse, Betty's partner seems to be um, seems to be becoming increasingly dependent on the prescription painkillers he was prescribed for the injuries that he sustained while rescuing her. So th- all of this stuff is is just going on. And then Betty ends up forced into therapy, a desk assignment, um, and she's kind of at her breaking point when she decides to go rogue, investigate her own department, chase down the phantom sightings of the cult leader who took her hostage in the first book, um, and the chase leads her straight to the dark heart of a drug cartel terrorizing Dallas and straight to the crooked cops who plan to profit from it all. Um, so this is definitely a series where you need to read the first book before you read the second. Um, but I, the dime was such a, such a good book, um, that I highly recommend picking up that one. And then you can pick up, uh, the second one again, that is The Burn by Kathleen Kent. Uh, second book that we have is The Only Child by Me A So, which is also out today on February 11th. Um, and this, this is a psychological thriller. Um, the criminal psychologist Young Kyung, uh, receives an unexpected call. The, there's a serial killer, Yi Byung-do, whose gruesome murders shook the entire world and has reached out to Seong Kyung and wanting to be interviewed. Um, so Byung-do, uh, who has uh, refused to speak to anyone until now, reaches out to this criminal psychologist, and so they agree out of curiosity. And that same day, Hyung, which is uh, Seong Kyung's husband's uh, 11-year-old daughter from a previous marriage, um, shows up at their door after her grandparents uh, who she was living with after her mother passed away, her grandparents die in a sudden fire and then shows, and then shows up on Seung Kyung's doorstep. And she wants, and Seung Kyung wants her to feel at home, but becomes gradually unnerved as the, this girl says very little, acts very strangely, and Seung Kyung starts to unravel the pasts of the of these two people her basically her stepdaughter who she hasn't interacted with and the serial killer who now wants to talk to her 
And she's she's starting to see some very frightening, unnerving similarities. Um, Hyung looks at Young Kyung the way that Byung-do does when he recounts the abuse he experienced as a child. Hyung has a temper that she can't control very well. And there's something about the story that she tells about her grandparents' death and her mother's death before that that very much troubles Seong Kyung. Uh, so much so that Byung Do, the serial killer, picks up on it and starts giving her advice. So there's all kinds of boundary crossing going on in this book. Um, one word that, um, all of the blurbs for this book, they say it is super creepy. Um, if you did not, <laughs> If you happen to not pick up on that vibe from from the uh, synopsis, you have there are multiple authors that have said this book is super super creepy, which of course puts it right up my alley. Um, so again, I am so excited to pick up this one. This again, this is the only child by Mie So. Um, and again, that's out uh, today on the eleventh. And then we have the uh, second sister by Chan Ho Kei. Uh, translated by Jeremy Tiang. Um, that comes out next February, uh, February 18th. Um, so with this, this is just kind of a bonker sounding book. Um, this is a, a very modern, maybe slightly futuristic tale of a, what is called a Darwinian digital city, uh, where everyone from tech entrepreneurs to teenagers are struggling for the top. Um, a schoolgirl named Suman has committed suicide and, uh, she is, uh, she is an orphan and her sister, who, her older sister, who's a librarian, um, who's been raising her refuses to believe that there was no foul play. She thinks something must have happened. She can't, she doesn't believe that this was suicide. Um, and so she contacts a man known as N who is a hacker, um, an expert in cybersecurity and manipulating human behavior. And so she tries to get him to take on the case. But, you know, is this case sufficiently interesting enough to him? Can she afford it if he says yes? Um, and so what follows is this cat and mouse game through Hong Kong and the digital underground. Um, there's this online gossip platform where someone had been slandering Suman before, um, before her death. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going, going on in here. There's, you know, high school social drama. There's the online bullying. There's, um, there's an issue with a man who's been harassing girls and women on the mass transit system. Um, there's just so much going on. And in the end, all of this is going to come together to tell us who caused Suman's death and why, and asks in a world where online and offline dialogue has increasingly forgotten about the real people on the other end, what the proper punishment is. So again, that is Second Sister by Chan Ho Kei, uh, translated by Jeremy Tiang. And then also coming out of February February 18th, we have the Aosawa Murders by Riku Onda, uh, translated by Allison Watts. Um, the the Aosawas are owners of a prominent local hospital. Um, they are hosting a large birthday party, um, except 17 people die at the birthday party from cyanide in their drinks. Only surviving links to what might have happened are a cryptic verse that could be the killers. And the physician's daughter, Hisako, who is very bewitching, um, she is blind, and she is the only person who is spared injury. 
Um, but the person who emerges as the prime suspect uh, commits suicide that October, kind of seals his guilt, um, but leaving his motives a mystery. Um, but the police are convinced that Hisako had a role in the original crime, um, and many other people are convinced of this as well, including the author of a best-selling book about the murders, written a decade after the incident, who was a childhood friend of Hisako's, and witness to the murders, or to the discovery of the murders, and so the truth of what happened, again, this is one of those, another one of those stories where the different storylines come together, and then at the end kind of reveals what happens through the testimony by different voices, um, family members, witnesses, police investigators, and of course, Hisako herself. So again, that is the Ayosawa murders by Riku Onda um, out on February 18th. And then finally, um, and again, this is not the end of the amazing books coming out these next couple of weeks. Um, finally, we have The Holdout by Graham Moore. Um, so Graham Moore is, um, he wrote the, the screenplay for the imitation game. Um, he's the best-selling author of The Last Days of Night. Um, and so this latest book of his is about a jury on a murder trial, um, that is deadlocked when a young woman manages to turn the tide to acquit. And now a decade later, she has to face the consequences when a fellow juror is killed and she is the prime suspect. Um, so the, the case follows a 15 year old heiress named Jessica Silver, um, who vanishes on her way home from school. And her teacher, Bobby Nock, is a 25 year old African American man and becomes the prime suspect. Um, the trial taps into issues of race, class, sex, law enforcement, the lives of the rich and famous. Um, it seems to be an open and shut case for the prosecution until Maya Seal, um, who is on the jury, uh, becomes convinced of Knox's innocence and persuades the rest of the jurors to return the verdict of not guilty. And then, flash forward 10 years, a true crime docuseries reassembles the jury with a particular focus on Maya, who is now a defense attorney herself. Um, and then one, when one of the jurors is found dead in her hotel room, all evidence points to her as the killer, and now she has to prove her own innocence. Um, so this is, it sounds like a really interesting take on the traditional legal thriller. Um, for me, I read about a lot of these books and I think about, okay, who could I give this to at my library? And we have several patrons that come in that are always looking for new legal thrillers. Um, so I am really excited to read this one and I'm really excited to hand this one out. Um, again, that is The Holdout by Graham Moore. And that, that is my, <laughs> Very long, just just a fraction of the amazing books coming out. Oh, good job! I'm proud of you. <laughs> okay, um, so it's actually really funny. So I didn't like look through your new releases because again there were so many. So I was like, I'll just wait until she tells me about them. Um, so when I was in Austin this weekend, one of the books that I picked up was the Ayosawa Murders by Riku Onda. Onda. Um, which is hilarious because I thought this was a book that was already out, but I was just thinking because it was out in Brit. I think it came out like in the UK only, maybe like a month or so ago. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this one around. And so I went to this bookstore that specializes in like smaller presses and it's, it's called Book Women. And so it focuses on like 
female or female identifying um, authors and uh, works in translation as well. And so I saw this one there and I was like, oh, this sounds really great. And I just found out that it's only being released right now. Um, <laughs> so what great coincidences. Um, so another book that is coming out recently, I will take this opportunity to plug something else that sounds super interesting to me um, that I got a copy of from um, in the mail from the publisher is Death in the Family by Tessa Wiegert. And this one is being described as like slightly darker Agatha Christie style um, mystery. So you are following this uh, NYPD detective named Shanna, Shanna Merchant, who, uh, while working a case, was like abduct, abduct, abducted by a serial killer. And she's like really traumatized from that experience. And so she decides to leave the NYPD and go work in this like quiet small town in upstate New York. Uh, but she, they like while on this new job, she gets a call to head out to this, um, island, like this private island where a man has been reported missing. And so Shana and her partner, Tim, head over to this like private island owned by this like wealthy family. And it turns out that like this man, like the man's, I think, girlfriend or wife, um, basically like they went to sleep together as a couple. I went, the wife woke up in the morning, the man was missing and there was like a pool of blood on their bed. And so, um, there are like obviously like a bunch of people like living on this island or not a bunch, but you know, a handful of people who are living on this island. And so, um, Shauna is convinced that it's a murder while Tim, her partner believes that it's just like a missing person's investigation or like, this guy's basically just run away and but then they get like trapped on the island while they're trying to solve it so uh yeah it sounds like really good and creepy and it's something that i kind of want to read really soon so i thought i would talk about that since it's something that i recently acquired um and then another thing that i recently acquired that i almost forgot to talk about is abbott which is a comic book series that is being published by boom studios and this is a like mystery like supernatural mystery uh comic book series and so the trade for the first five issues has recently come out um or not recently but it like came out already and i was at while I was in Austin, I went to Austin Books and Comics, which is a fantastic comic book store. Um, and I picked this is one of the things I picked up. And so um, the book is set in 1970s Detroit. And you are following this woman named Elena Abbott, um, who is a tabloid reporter who it investigates all of these like really grisly crimes that the police have ignored. And so you're basically like, following her as she's trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And apparently there's some supernatural elements to it as well. Um, it's written by Saladin Ahmed, who has written a few like comic book series that I know of and has also written some um, like science fiction and fantasy books as well. So if you're a fan of his, uh, you might be interested in it. And it's uh, illustrated by Sammy Cavella and Jason Wordy. Um, so those are some things that I have on my to be read pile uh, to hopefully pick up soon. Well, if I talk about what's on my current TBR pile, just from the books I've picked up from the library, we'll be here for another, like, 50 minutes. Um, like, seriously, like, half the books I talked about in the new releases, I got a shipment of new books from the library since I ordered the new fiction books, and I just said, you know what? Heck with it. I'm just putting 
all of these different books on hold. So I had like, I put like five different books on hold and four of them came out this week. Plus I had like four other books from my, my actual home library. Um, so I got a lot and I have no idea what I will be able to get to, but I'm just feeling energized by feeling like, I'm like, okay, I don't feel like I'm in a reading rut right now. I have so many amazing books to pick up. Um, first, I, um, I will say I did finish reading or listening to the true crime book, If You Tell by Greg Olson. That was, they had sponsored a, um, a few of our few different episodes, um, from a month or so ago. And I started listening to the audiobook. Um, I finished it last night. Um, I mentioned before when I was initially talking about it, all the trigger warnings apply for this book. In fact, the one trigger warning that I can't think of, or that I don't, that I don't think happened at any time in the book, and I feel like I would have remembered this, is, is cruelty to animals. Um, so, if that's a particular trigger, that one you don't have to worry about, but pretty much everything else applies. Um, this book was truly traumatic to listen to. It, I mean, it's a horrifying story, um, about an, an unbelievably abusive, murderous family. Um, this happened in the, you know, starting in the 80s, um, all the way through the early 2000s. Um, and it tells the story of the three sisters, um, the Nodic sisters, and how they basically endured and survived their mother's their their mother's reign of terror um but listen listening to that story it was so horrifying like this this was the book that i asked blaine why am i why do i keep reading these books why do i put myself through this like this it was really horrifying um it's it's, it's it was a little bit of an endurance um i think the reason why i kept reading is because i knew that ultimately both parents are sent to jail <laughs> not a spoiler you can look it up these you know these were um you can find you can find news articles about this um but yeah it is it is real it is it is a roller coaster it is a gut punch it is if you and not quite as ridiculous but if, if any of you have seen the documentary on netflix the true crime documentary abducted in plain sight this is not that level of bonkers but it evokes similar feelings of how could this happen? How, you know, how can someone let this happen? How can, you know, adults let this happen? How could no one see what was going on? So, yeah, so that book, if you just, I just want to make sure that I put that out there. It is a, it it is an experience. So I finished that. <laughs> um, and then in terms of what I'm starting... I think the first book I'm going to pick up is Untamed Shore by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, which also comes out on the 11th, and I specifically did not put that in the new releases because I'm going to read it next. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a suspense novel. It takes place in, uh, takes place in Mexico in the late 70s um, with a young girl who really wants to escape her um, escape her hometown. Um, and then three wealthy American tourists arrive for the summer and she becomes just drawn into their, their really glamorous, exciting world. But then one of them dies and she finds herself lying to protect her, her new friends. Um, and then someone starts asking questions and she starts realizing, Hey, wait a minute, there might be something going on with these, with these people. Um, 
So this, um, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia just seems to write in pretty much every genre. Um, so this is her latest book, and it's got an amazing cover with a really cool stylistic picture of a shark on it. And I, and I know the book is not about actual sharks, but I am not going to lie, the cover is a big part of why I wanted to pick this book up. Um, so I'm going to, so I think I'm, I'm going to read that next. That is, uh, Untamed Shore, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, the book with the really cool shark on the cover. Yeah, I'm not sure how I missed that Untamed Shore was out today, but I did, and I now have it on hold at the library. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. There will be links to all of the articles we talked about in this episode, as well as links to all of the books that we mentioned here today. If you enjoy the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please, if you can, so that other people can discover our podcasts. Um, if you want to send us an email with feedback or future show suggestions, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.